Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited to share with you some information I've put together for myself, my own business for the past 30 years. And for the past 20 years, we've been teaching over 3 million small business owners in 37 countries. And so we have a little bit of background in this. We coach and train people all over the world. And we've kind of broken down seven steps to build an unstoppable business. And even for those that don't own a business, these are just phenomenal principles and points and how-tos for, uh, again, mindset, motivation, and methodology for success. I have a great passion for small business. I am a son of a house painter who worked for himself and had his own business. And he worked for his father, who did the same, and his father. In fact, since 1769, when the original Henry Buffini came to Cork, we, the Buffinis, have worked for themselves. Maybe because we're unemployable. That might be part of the reason. But we've always worked for ourselves, and we've always had our own small business and small business is fantastic it's exhilarating it's exciting it makes you get up at dawn and down at dusk but it also is fraught with a lot of challenges we know the statistics you know you've heard that 50 percent of restaurants fail within a year well approximately 50 percent of small businesses fail within five years and it doesn't have to be the case it doesn't have to be the case also small business takes a toll folks who own their own business feel two times as much stress in maintaining a stable relationship where they have three times as much stress raising their children, four times as much stress when it comes to taking care of their own personal finances, okay? 57% of small business owners give up their free time on a regular basis to reinvest it back into their business. So we know these things. 37% of small business owners consistently abandon their exercise time in order to work. I've certainly fallen victim to that on occasion. Yet, Almost 80% of all small business owners are very or extremely happy with what they do for a living. So they're under the gun, they're feeling the pressure, they're feeling the strength. About half of them will fail. It has all these pressures at home and in their own life, yet they're extremely happy. You know. And if you're talking about success, feeling happy every day is probably the greatest essence of success in many ways. So my heart goes out. I love the fact that there are so many people who are willing to take a risk, bet on themselves, and get into business for themselves. And so this program is dedicated to those folks today. And I've got seven steps that I think will help you develop an unstoppable business. And maybe you could share this podcast with a friend who owns a small business. This might be very, very helpful to them. So here it is. Here's the first step. Number one is find something you love. Now, you've all heard the quote, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that is true. And that is true. But I also want to put a little asterisk next to that because there's a. everybody knows that comment and quote, but not everybody feels that. And I want to explain to you a context here. I've had my own business for 30 years. I've owned dozens of businesses. And I certainly would tell you now, I I feel like I haven't worked in a long time, even though I've put in a lot of hours. The thing about it is I love what I do. Our mission at our company, Buffini Company, is to impact and improve the lives of people. Our mission at the Brian Buffini Show is to positively influence the lives of people. And that's what I get to do every day, improve people's lives. That's pretty good. I built a company 
that has hundreds of employees that helps people reach their goals and improves their lives. It's fantastic. I can't wait to get to work every day. But I want to share with you something very important. I don't love everything about what I do. So it's important you find something you love. But don't expect to love every part of it. I've trained 3 million people in 37 countries. Well, guess what? I've had to go to those places. When I first built Buffini and Company, I did over a 1,000 seminars in the first 10 years of the company's history. Here's the thing. That's a lot of nights away from home. That's a lot of crappy hotels. That's a lot of eating between, you know, going from one place to another. It takes a great toll on your body, on your mind, on your relationships. I have never enjoyed being away from my family. I bought my first jet 15 years ago, not to be on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, but because it gave me 54 more days home a year than without it. Now, you imagine 54 days a year multiplied by 15. That's an awful lot of days. That's a lot of nights I read bedtime stories to the girls or ball games I got to attend or coach. The thing is, I love what I do, but I don't love everything about what I do. And I hear so many people who are questioning if what they're doing is what they're supposed to do because there's parts of it they really, really, really don't like. Well, that's called life. That's called life. And when you own a business, at the end of the day, does the essence of what you do for a living, does that really float your boat? You know, when I was selling houses, I loved that. Having said that, there were times when transactions fell apart, where people were just being turkeys. But then I would think about handing the set of keys to a first-time buyer who, honest to God, never thought they would own a home, or helping an immigrant who was living in a a house and paying an exorbitant amount of rent and turn around and showing them that they could qualify and actually get their piece of the American dream and buy a home that so many people over the years, you know, just got to see the glint in their eyes and the change in their lifestyle by helping them with what I did. For the past 20 years, it's been coaching and training people. Love it, love it, love it. Just don't love everything about it. If you love what you do, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that's like a pain in the butt, Welcome to life, welcome to business, welcome to needing a team, welcome to needing systems, welcome to needing support. So let me break it down for you as far as finding something you love. First of all, what are you good at? What are you good at? When I was 15 years of age, I went on a high school trip to Italy, and I was down in the markets in Rome, and they were selling leather goods and jackets and everything you can imagine off of these cart stalls. And I saw a suede leather jacket that I just had to have. And I had worked in a Milltown Golf Club with my brother John. We were lounge boys, bus boys as they call them in America. And we'd worked for two years to be on this trip. And I'd saved up my money and I had just enough for the trip and just enough for some spending money. And I wanted this jacket and I couldn't afford it. But I loved it. It looked like the Fonzie's jacket. And the Fonz was a big show in Ireland at the time. Happy days. And so sure enough, I'm observing the market and having conversations with different people. And again, I have an Italian last name. So I strike up a conversation with one of the guys in the markets and I go, what do you like best about your job? We go, oh, I love to meet the people and I, I love to negotiate. And I go, well, what's your least favorite part of the job? He goes, so many of these tourists, especially the Americans, they just, I, they say, quanto, how much is it? And I tell them and they pay it. Oh, and I go, well, how should you do it? And this guy's, well, the first thing you should start at one quarter and then you got to insult me and insult my mother and then you got to tell me I'm stealing from you. This guy lays out a blueprint for me. And I went, this is good. This is good. So the next day I went back to the market. I found the suede leather jacket and sure enough, this 
five foot two, little bald headed Italian merchant is there. I go, Quanto, and he gives me the price in lira, and I just flip out. Oh my goodness, you're trying to steal money. I'm just a poor Irish boy. I've worked hard for this. You're stealing, you're getting fat with all the money you're making. And this guy gets enraged, and we get into it, and we get into it. And next thing you know, he's pulling my cheeks. I'm slapping him on the ball head. And I get the jacket for a little over a quarter of the price. I come back that night, all the teachers and kids are around, and I tell them the story, and I tell them what I paid. Well, the next day, we were supposed to go looking at all these cathedrals and this and that and the other, and we'd done a lot of that. The next day, all we did was spend the day at the markets, and every kid and every teacher had me negotiate on their behalf. And it was awesome. And I loved it, and I went, ooh, I really like this. I might do that. So the first thing is, what are you good at? Well, life leaves clues. You know, I just had a conversation with a young man the other day who's, I need to do this with my next career, and I need to do this, and I need to do that. And he was ignoring everything he'd done up until this time. He's 37 years old. And I said, you know what? Life leaves clues. What have you done in the past that you've been good at? And when he started talking it through, it's very obvious what this guy should be doing, and yet he's been in the wilderness for years trying to figure out his calling. Life leaves clues. What are you good at? Second, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? So when I came to the States, 19 years of age, I knew I enjoyed a little bit of the negotiation and the selling. So guess what? My brother John had a clothing store up in Laguna Beach. I started selling his T-shirts off a cart down in Pacific Beach in San Diego. And so there I was every day outside these stores off a little, uh, it was a real nice, it was a decorative cart that had uh, a wheel on it, you know, it looked nice, a nice canopy and awning. And I started selling t-shirts and I started having a blast and I started moving this stuff, you know. And then sure enough, I noticed there was a lot of folks from Arizona coming to California during the summertime to get out of the heat. Well, in the evening time when the marine layer comes in, it gets a little cooler and all these Arizona people were freezing. So I call up my brother, John. I go, you guys got any sweatshirts? He goes, yeah, but they're all in storage. You know, nobody's uh, using them this time of year. I said, let me ask you this. Would you sell them to me at a deep discount and I'll take them off your hands? I had no transportation time. I actually went up on the public transportation, got eight boxes of sweatshirt, came down on the public transportation. The bus stopped right outside my T-shirt cart. I unloaded these things. And next thing you know, in the evening times, I'm putting out the sweatshirts, and all these owners are buying this stuff left and right. I was selling $50,000 worth of T-shirts and sweatshirts off a cart in Pacific Beach as a 19-year-old. Well, you know, it leaves clues. Success leaves clues. I was good at it, and I obviously then enjoyed it. What are you good at, and what have you done that you've enjoyed? Here's another question. What would you do if you didn't need the money? You know, Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, he just did it because he loved it. Now, the fact that it turned him into a billionaire was a tremendous bonus, but he did it because he loved it. So what are you good at? What do you enjoy? What would you do if you didn't need the money? Do that. Do those three things, and you'll find something you love. Will you love everything about it? Absolutely not. Everybody thinks they're supposed to love everything about it, and I think many people have been kept from their destiny, kept from their purpose, kept from their passion, because they don't love every single thing about it. Just something to consider. The second step to an unstoppable business is what makes you or your product or service unique. You know, there's an invisible question that everybody has when they look at you when you're in business, and it's W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? What's the self-serving benefit that a customer would have? And so you have to match up your uniqueness with the need that the customer has and then ultimately make a match. You know, FedEx, FedEx realized when they took on the U.S. Postal Service as their main competition. They weren't in the shipping business. They realized they were in the information business. 
Now, their unique selling proposition was when you absolutely has to get there overnight, use FedEx. FedEx was the first company to track where the packages were. So if you were sending a will or a cashier's check or something that was vital that had to get into somebody's hands, you know, we all know, oh, it's checks in the mail. And so the U.S. Postal Service, which, by the way, is an excellent postal service, you know, if you've been anywhere around the world. I mean, I, I send a letter in the U.S. mail and can get across the country in a day. That doesn't happen in most countries. But what does happen is where there was challenges when they did lose something in the post. And by the way, how many people said the check's in the mail and the check wasn't in the mail? Well, you get to blame the U.S. Postal Service. Well, you couldn't do that with FedEx because they had a tracking system. And you used to be able to call in and they'd say, your package just left a mine and it's on the 10 o'clock flight and it'll be there at noon. And it gave you peace of mind. And now it's obviously online and everybody does that, including the U.S. Postal Service, by the way. Another uniqueness was uh, M&M's when they came out, melts in your mouth, not in your hand. That was a unique thought back then. So it's like, we are going to match up a need in the marketplace with the uniqueness we have, and then we're going to promote it, okay? So here's a couple of thoughts on that. You have to list the features and benefits that are unique about your product or service. So you list out the features and the benefits that are unique about your product or service. Now, a classic mistake that people make is there's 17 things that are unique about our product. I'm going to tell you all 17. Let me tell you, the worst salespeople in the world are the ones who do that. And so you want to pick the highlights. You want to stand out. Dr. Seuss used to say, why fit in when you were born to stand out? What stands out about your product, your services? And here's the thing. I don't want to hear more than three. Just give me the top three. Next, what emotional need is specifically met by your product or service? Let me give you an example. I have had a gentleman who has worked for me for over two decades. His name is Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor is my lawyer. And not just my lawyer as a vendor, Mike's actually worked inside Buffini Company for the best part of two decades. Now, we do a lot of contracts, we have a lot of business-to-business dealings and so on and so forth. But I also, because of the nature of the world we live in, you become a successful person and you're in the spotlight a bit. People do goofy things. I get some goofy lawsuits each year. And what Mike represents to me and what I tell him he is, is he's my peace of mind department. He's a peace of mind department. Which, by the way, makes him feel totally different about his career, as opposed to, you know, people say dentists have the highest dissatisfaction with their job because when people get there, they go, oh, man, I'd rather be anywhere than seeing you today. But Mike, as an attorney, and sometimes he's got to do difficult things, he's a tough guy, you know? I am a lover, he's a fighter. But I tell him he's the peace of mind department, which allows me to fully serve and fully give myself to people and do the very best I can. And if they have less than stellar intentions, the peace of mind department's got him. He's peace of mind to me. He is a bulldog to everyone else. It's good stuff. Our front desk receptionist hasn't been called a front desk receptionist for 15 years. In fact, for the past 10 years, we have a wonderful gal by the name of Rainey, and Rainey is called our creator of first impressions. And so that's the emotional need that these guys meet. And they take pride in it. They do a great job. So what emotional need specifically is being met by your product or service? If you meet an emotional need, you'll create an advocate. You just meet their service need. That's a transaction and you get paid. Well, you want to build a business that grows. The last part about standing out amongst the competition and making sure that your product or service is unique and, and communicated that way is identify the aspects of your product or service that others would struggle to duplicate. So in my business life for the past 20 years, one of the things that's very, very hard to duplicate is our coaches, the way we train our coaches, the way our coaches all work in-house, and the level of expertise that they have. Our average client increases their business eightfold in a three-year period of time. And I've had the who's who of the speaking and training business 
come and tour the campus of Buffini Company, and they all walk away and they all go, I would never do this. This is too hard to duplicate. Even though they all see the benefits of coaching, they know, oh, I might outsource it to some third-party service that has a big call center, but there's no way I would actually engage in this. And it's very, very hard. It was very difficult to do. But something that was our difficulty becomes a barrier for entry for someone else. So that's one of the things that makes our product or service very unique. We have full-time coaches who are fully trained, who are in an environment where they all have a coach, operate as a team. There's accountability kept for them, for their results and the success of their clients. So again, hard to duplicate. That's what makes our business unique. The third step to an unstoppable business is one of my favorite ones, and it's called Promote, Promote, Promote. And I have a couple of quotes in my office. One right here in the studio is from Michelangelo, and it says, Ancaro Imparo, which is, I am still learning. I, I love that quote. And that's a bronze plaque I have in my studio here. Another quote I have is from P.T. Barnum. And P.T. Barnum said, Without promotion, something terrible happens, and that's nothing. And what happens is, is that, you know, in many cases, especially any kind of significant purchase or investment, people buy emotionally and have to justify logically. And what we tend to do, especially in our world today, is just try to attach to the intellectual or the logical needs of a customer. But people need the whole package. And so a great example of this would be when Andrew Carnegie first built his first steel bridges. No one would walk across them. People knew iron, they were comfortable with iron, they were comfortable with rock and stone, but this newfangled steel, they just weren't comfortable with it. And he'd built his first steel bridge in Pennsylvania, and people were not using it. And so he's commissioned with the opportunity to build the Brooklyn Bridge and to you know, service the New York City area. It's a huge undertaking, it put his company on the map. It turned out to be the opportunity that transformed him into the wealthiest man in the world at one stage. And what did he do? Well, he had all his science done. He had all his engineering reports. And he would spend lots of money and lots of time and take a full-page ads in the newspaper talking about the strength and reliability of steel and all that kind of good stuff. And it didn't matter. People wouldn't walk across the bridge. So he went to his good friend, P.T. Barnum. And P.T. Barnum said, okay, give me half of what you would pay to the newspaper men. And I will have everyone in New York City go across your bridge. And so they said, deal. So here's what P.T. Barnum did. He promoted a giant parade and promoted it all over New York City. And May 24th of 1883, P.T. Barnum took 21 elephants, including the largest elephant in captivity, and he led them in a parade down through New York City all the way out to the entrance to the Brooklyn Bridge. And what happens with the parade? People follow the parade. And then he marched his elephants across the Brooklyn Bridge. There was no engineering reports revealed. There was no science showing the strength and flexibility of steel. P.T. Barnum moved people emotionally, and they followed. Oh, by the way, people visually could see 21 elephants, including the largest in captivity, walked across this bridge. Maybe it can handle me. You know, I might have been docking down a couple cheeseburgers lately, but perhaps the old bridge might work. That's the deal. And I'm going to say to you is that when somebody says to me, the product sells itself, I go, there's someone going out of business. When I hear somebody say, you know, I don't need to promote or sell. I just want to do the best job I can. I am the king of customer service. I am so committed to how to serve people. 
You'll hear the principles behind all that here in this session today. But I'm going to say to you, without promotion, something terrible happens, and that's nothing. So what do you promote? First thing, you've got to promote yourself. You know, Mark Victor Hansen was a co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and he said, your belief determines your action, and your action determines your results. But first, you have to believe. Do you believe? Do you believe in yourself? And you have to ask that question. Am I the person this person should trust to do this? Is my company the organization that they should trust to do it? The next thing is you have to trust your product or service. This is a tough story to tell because it's one that really hurts me. I love entrepreneurs and I love people who take a risk. For many, many years, I lived in a community in San Diego County called Escondido. And right near my home, my wife and I are really into Whole Foods and organic produce and stuff like that. And a little market called the Veer Market opened up a stone's throw from our house. And we're like, this is awesome. And I met the gal. She was this neat gal who owned the store and she had a good heart. And she had some good products in there. They were making organic sandwiches and wraps and things like that. But they had great produce. It was a real small little market. Well, we're like, okay, we're going to support this. We want this thing to go. Well, about three months into it, I remember one time I'm taking my two middle sons, Alex and Adam, to a weekend basketball tournament up in Los Angeles. And they've got the sniffles, and they've been going hard. They play many sports, and they were a little run down. So I run in there. And I'm looking for something that can help them. And I'm kind of going through and going through and I'm going through the aisles. And again, small place. And I just didn't see anything that was going to work. You know, so I got like some emergency packs and I got some airborne, you know, basic stuff like that. Put it in some water and they're drinking it in the car before we take off. And I go, they had to have something in there. And so I walk back in and sure enough, the gal who owned the place came out from behind the counter. and I said, hey. You know, I've been looking around the store here. My boys have sniffles. They're a little run down. they got probably six or seven basketball games this weekend they got to play. Is there anything that could kind of boost their immune system and so on and so forth? She goes, yeah, yes, there is. But I just don't want to be a pushy salesperson, you know? And I'm like, I need your help. You know, and then kind of a little seminar broke out, you know? And I could tell she's a sweetheart of a gal. And even when she showed me what I should get, she was apologetic. She was apologetic. And... You know, I, I'm telling her, I go, just so you know, I mean, you need to be excited about this. You're about to do a service to my boys here. You're going to help me. Well, I bought the stuff and I, I paid up and I got out. It was 90 days after that I went back to the store one day and I had been in there several times since. And there was a, a sign outside and it said closing sale 50% off. And it just crushed me. Because what I was looking at was the death of a dream. What I was looking at is what's called a statistic, 50% of small businesses fail. But it's not a statistic to that gal. It's not 50% to that gal. It's 100% failure to her. Why? Because she was not promoting her products or services with the end customer in mind. Totally sold on herself and totally convincing. And because of that, she just wanted people to buy from her as opposed to, I need to really promote what I've got here because I really believe in it. And that's the difference. People follow the path of strongest conviction, a good friend of mine says. The last piece here is you've got to promote your clients and customers, especially in the world we live in today. I believe in the time frame we live today is that facts tell, but stories sell. You've got to sell with stories. At Buffini Company, if you go to our website, you'll see a whole area on our website dedicated to client stories. And they're inspiring stories. It's good TV. They're well-produced. They're well-made and they'll move you to tears. They're powerful. The true story of people who've changed their life, who've gotten out of debt, who, you know, the husband walked out in the middle of the night and left them with three kids and they were destitute, who've now built burgeoning businesses. It's powerful stuff. I can tell you this. I can also tell you a direct correlation 
between the time we've started investing in producing these stories about our clients' success and our company's growth. It's a fantastic thing. So you got to promote, promote, promote. It's good enough for P.T. Barnum. It's good enough for me. The fourth step to an unstoppable business is to sell with enthusiasm. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. And I always like to remind people the last four letters of the word enthusiasm are I-A-S-M, an acrostic for I am sold myself. So that's the first thing I'm going to say. If you're going to sell with enthusiasm, you've got to believe in yourself. There it is again. You've got to promote yourself, but you've got to believe in yourself. Sugar Ray Robinson said, to be a champ, you have to believe in yourself when no one else will. No question about it. Now you've got to promote your product or service. You've got to believe in your product or service. You know? You've got to believe in your product or service. Estee Lauder said, I've never worked a day in my life without selling. If I believe in something, I sell it, and I sell it hard. Now, let me give you a little context. Estee Lauder was born in 1908, and she passed away in 2004. An amazing woman. Now, she was a truly pioneering businesswoman. Her peak working life was following the Great Depression during World War II and through the 1950s. Now, she worked on much later than that, but that's when she really came to prominence. Think about the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Was that a time when people celebrated women in business? Was that a time when, when women were championed or considered, uh, I mean, that was leave it to beaver, you know, black and white TV, mama's place is in the home with the four kids. Here's this woman in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And by the way, you know, people go, oh yeah, I like Estee Lauder, but I use Donna Karen or Veda or Clinique or Coach. I use Michael Kors. Well, guess what? Her company owns all those brands. They dominate their market space. She totally believed in who she was, but she totally believed in her product and service. And that belief is still the core of that company's culture today, even though she's passed on a number of years ago. Believe in yourself, believe in your product or service, believe in your clients and customers. You've got to believe that if you do such a great job for your customers, they'll tell their friends. You have to have that faith in people. If you don't, you're going to always trust yourself, trust the ad, trust the technology, trust the transaction. I believe this. You will never build a phenomenal business unless your customers become your advocates and Raven fans. Walt Disney was a great referral guy. He used to say, do what you do so well, they'll want to see it again and bring their friends. And again, just like Estee Lauder, Walt Disney is a business that stood the test of time, still thriving and growing better than ever today. So we talked about find something you love. We've talked about what makes your product or service unique. We've talked about promote, promote, promote. And we talked about sell with enthusiasm. Now, now that you've done those things in this order, then you get to do my favorite part, which is number five, exceed customers' expectations. I can boil my entire business success into one sentence that was the cornerstone core value of the Buffini and Company painting business that existed from 1769 till 1994. And that was this. When you were about eight years of age in the family business, you went to my grandfather Harry's home, and he mentored you through the summer. He taught you how to hold the brushes. He taught you how to do all the preparation. He taught you how to clean the tools and clean the rooms and all of these fundamental little details, by the way, which drive me nuts today when I see contractors come to my home or businesses and they leave the place dirty and they don't quite do what's needed to be done. In our work, we would, at the end of a paint job, change the light bulbs and clean the windows to showcase the paint job. The customers would love it. 
my grandfather, when you finally got a chance to go to the job site and you worked in our family business on the weekends and on your summer vacations until you left home. I like to tell people that's why we all left home at 12, right? But ultimately, Harry would come walking through the job site. He would look at your work. He would point his stogied finger at your work and say, well, now, Brian, can you put your name to that? Can you put your name to that? Can you put your name to that is a phrase that is the cornerstone philosophy behind what I have done in business for 30 years, what my company stands for today. Our company is, in its space, the leading company in the world, training small business owners and coaching small business owners. At one stage, our company grew by 40% a year, no less than 40% a year, for a decade. The fact of the matter is, can you put your name to it is still at the core essence of Buffini and Company. And yes, there's jets and great buildings and this and the other, but at the end of the day, Buffini and Company is built on a blue-collar philosophy of can you put your name to the work you do and do it in such a way that you exceed the customer's expectations. You come and take a tour through Buffini and Company today in our main campus building, you'll see the painting and decorating sign from my grandfather's business from 1947 in the lobby. We put the same name on the business because can you put your name to it? is a profound generational principle for me and my family. So the question is, what is yours? What's your legacy statement? What is something that your customers can expect from you? Here's how you go about it. First thing you do to exceed customers' expectations is you notice a need. It's important that you serve your customers to the deepest of their needs, not yours. A great little example is back in my real estate days, I would go to my customer's home the day they were moving before lunchtime, I'd bring food for them and their family and their friends or even the moving company that was moving them. So one day, my young brother Kevin and I went to visit a young lady named Lisa Clark. And Lisa, her husband traveled a lot. She had a baby that had a, a scoliosis of his spine, a young baby. And what happened was we go to deliver some pizza to her new home and find out she's not there. We call her. She's at her old home. Why? Her family was supposed to come and help her move and none of them showed up. And so... We helped get everything in there. Moving truck. I've got all these appointments. I'm a busy guy. We call off our appointments. We help her move. I call a couple of buddies. We get all the stuff in there, U-Haul. We get it over to the new home. And then I'm like, Lisa, I'm, I've been here for three hours. I'm meant to be here for 15 minutes. But what is it you need so you can just sleep here tonight? And she goes, and she's just overwhelmed. She's crying. She's with this baby. She's all by herself. And she's moving. And she said, could you put the baby's crib together? Now, I am not much of a carpenter or a handyman. And I, I will tell you that uh, me putting that crib together was like an octopus making love to a set of bagpipes is the best way I could describe it. Okay, there was a lot of noise and a lot of movement, but not a lot of productivity. This thing got put together. There were parts left over. It didn't quite look like it did on the cover of the box. But we got the baby's crib together. I got to tell you this. Over the years, that family became one of the greatest source of referrals for my real estate business that I had my whole career. And when I would meet the new referral and I would introduce myself and I'd talk about what I did and how I did, and they go, oh, you're the guy that built Lisa's crib. And I went, yeah, because that was an emotional need. That was a need that they had that was met. You got to open your eyes and listen with your eyes for the needs of your customers. Meet those needs. Boy, you turn them into an advocate. You got to take a personal interest in people. You know, you take a personal interest. I remember one time I, I went and had lunch with one of my best ever clients. He was the president of a bank. He was talking about his kid going to school. And I'm like, oh, how do you guys feel about that? Well, we're going to have an empty nest and those kinds of things. And I went and I sent him a couple of books, how to fill the empty nest and how to prepare your child for the first year of college. I got a phone call from the president of a bank 
who wore a three-piece suit to work every day in San Diego, where formal wear is shoes and shirts. And this guy is on the phone. He's in tears because I had heard him. I noticed that need. I took a personal interest in him, and I sent him a couple of books that meant something. Okay? Powerful stuff. Another piece I want to share with you right now as we dive into this is you got to keep in touch. You want to exceed people's expectations, but you want to keep in touch. Victor Hugo, who was the author of Les Mis, said, When a man is out of sight, it is not too long before he is out of mind. And that's true. And that's true. So to keep in touch, the first thing you want to do is provide some value. You know, Albert Einstein said, Strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. Profound statement. You know, at Buffini Company, we provide the marketing resources for our customers who are promoting their small businesses. And so several million homes a month in the U.S. and Canada alone receive the marketing pieces that we develop to give to our small business owners who then send them in turn to their customers and clients. But it's all value-based. It's not promotional material just about themselves. It is value-based. Here's how to improve your credit. Here's how to pay off your loans. Here's how to protect yourself from identity theft. Providing things that are actually valuable to people. So you've got to be a value. Next, you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. We all know the Aristotle quote that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. We've all heard that. But I want to say to you, the greatest habit you can have is to be consistent. Be consistent. There is a guy that is installing hardwood floors in my home as we speak. And this guy worked for me in the past. And I live in a pretty nice neighborhood. There's a lot of very, very nice homes in this area. And this guy's done almost everybody's floor. And his name is Cree. And Cree says, I'll see you at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. And at 7 o'clock, the doorbell rings. And the next day, 7 o'clock, the doorbell rings. Now, here's the thing. This guy has gotten more jobs and has more business. It is hard to get this guy, okay? You have to get on a waiting list to get this guy's business because he's just so doggone consistent. And when people are consistent, you trust them. When the guy shows up at 7 o'clock, I expect him to do a great job. You know, for most small business owners, they don't show up on time and they don't finish the job. Contractors... I'm going to say this to you. If anybody's listening to this broadcast and you're a contractor, if you show up when you say you're going to show up and you actually take the time to finish the job in its entirety, you will be in the top 10% of contractors in the world and you will get business left and right from your customers. 90% don't show up on time and then don't finish the job on time. And then when the market goes down, they go down. So you got to be consistent. And then you got to have a system for that, a routine, a set of habits. In our vernacular, we teach a, a system of contact and care and community to our small business owners to keep them on track. But you got to have a system because that's the way a business and a person can stay on track. Last but not least in the seven steps to building an unstoppable business, unstoppable, no matter what goes on in the economy, in the market, worldwide recessions, your business can be unstoppable. The seventh one would be to create and cultivate a community of advocates. Jane Howard, a famous novelist, said, call it a clan, call it a network, call it a tribe, call it a family, whatever you call it, whoever you are, you need one. And in our world today, community happens in many different ways. You can have community where there's proximity and physicality, but you can also have community where there's virtual opportunities and social media and many other technological support tools. And so uh, the way I would recommend going about this is first and foremost, you reach out to your very, very best customers. Your very, very best customers. I think my favorite all-time ad was for an airline years and years ago. 
this gentleman comes into an office, got the shirt sleeves rolled up, and uh, he gathers in all his people and says, uh, an old friend just fired us today. I just got off the phone with him. He said he didn't know us anymore. And he said, guess what? We've become too impersonal with how we correspond and how we interact with our customers. And so what he does, he hands out plane tickets to every single one of these, obviously, either area managers or, or regional salespeople. And he hands them out all plane tickets and says, we're going face-to-face, we're going to go see our folks. And then you see him walking down the hall and he has a plane ticket sticking out of his back pocket. And one guy says to him, hey, Harry, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go see that old friend that just fired us. Powerful stuff. You want to build a community? One of the ways to do it is proximity. Well, you can't have relationships with all of your customers if you have a very big business or a large database, but you can see your very best customers. Face-to-face, voice-to-voice, breaking bread, parties, special events, whatever it is, you got to do something for your A-plus people, your very, very best customers. Next, connect your clients with each other. This has been very, very powerful for us. And in fact, the network we have of small business owners, because they all have this shared experience, we've gotten these folks together physically and online and through social media. And now there's a life all of its own. You know, we first noticed this years ago when the Hurricane Katrina disaster happened. We decided we wanted to do something. So we put up the money and flew down a number of our staff to New Orleans to go build homes. We actually built them in Baton Rouge. And we invited our customers to come join us. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our best customers flew down to Louisiana. And we built home after home after home. Phenomenal experience. The following year, we actually went to all of our major markets and built homes with our customers. And we started noticing these folks loved being together. They had a shared experience. There was a purpose. There was a reason to get together. When we do our seminars, we have special members' lounges for these guys to get together. We get them to connect. They interact with each other. They form little groups themselves. One of our groups is called the White Hats, and they get together, and uh, it's just the good guy group. And they get together and interact and support one another and help one another, give each other ideas, give each other business. So another phenomenal way. And then the last piece would be to create these tech connections. Now, I believe there's too much of a dependency today with tech, and people expect tech to do everything for them. And I I just don't think that's the case. But I do believe it's a very, very powerful component to today's world. And so we, and I personally, use a lot of social media to connect with customers. And I hope you join me on Twitter or on Facebook and interact with me that way. I'd love to hear from you. This podcast is being listened to in over 60 countries around the world. I'd love to hear from you through social media. But one of the ways that you can really drive the bus that way is if you have an event for your customers, if you provide some education, also let them in a little bit to your personal life, things going on when my son got married, when my daughter won a national championship in horse riding, maybe my kids uh, win a basketball championship or my girls a volleyball championship or or stuff that I'm doing. I, I let them in a little bit to my personal life. And then inspirational quotes and, and motivation. These are things that have been very, very well received. So events, education, personal life, valuable information, inspirational, motivational quotes. That's a great way to build some tech connects and get people interacting with each other. Here's what I would say to you. I've, I've taken... 45 minutes of your time to try to share with you some principles and a few how-tos that are kind of the mindset, the motivation, and the methodologies of how to be a success in business. What I will say is I absolutely do not believe that 50% of businesses need to fail. I don't think 20% of businesses need to fail. I don't want to have people have the death of a dream like that lady that owned the Veer market. 
there are principles and there are processes that you can employ so that you can build an unstoppable business. First, find something you love. Next, what makes your product or service or you unique in the marketplace? Third, promote, promote, promote. Be your own P.T. Barnum. Four, sell with enthusiasm, that sense of belief and conviction. Fifth, exceed people's expectations. Can you put your name to it? Sixth, keep in touch with people. Out of sight, out of mind, you don't want to be that. And lastly, bring the folks together, cultivate a community. You do that, you're going to build an unstoppable business. And that's my hope and prayer for those of you who have a business or have a good friend who uh, has a business. Well, I hope you enjoyed this program. Don't forget to share it with your friends. Our goal is to positively influence as many folks as we can with this podcast. There's a good life waiting for you. And so I hope you embrace it today. As I finish with you, I leave you the words of my grandfather, who always left us with an Irish blessing. He'd say, may the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, folks, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.